Again, we're going to be talking about the five C's this morning. And my wife says, hey, I heard this quote. Let me look it up for you. And I took that quote and I just put it as our main thing this morning. You put it up on the screen there, Jordan. It says, habits can either imprison or free you. When gratitude to God becomes a habit, joy in God becomes your lifestyle. And that was Ann Voskamp that wrote that. And I thought that was such a wonderful thing that I took the original quote and I modified it just a little bit uh, to put it like that for our main point. When we come together, when we celebrate God in our life, and it wells up within us the gratitude that comes in many colors and sizes and forms, right? And sometimes that's hard. It's hard to have gratitude in, in certain times of life. When we're going through trials of many kinds, it's very hard, but we're going to reference that one this morning as well. For example, anytime we shed our old self, it's like taking off our worn rags, and we can't just be standing there in our underwear. We got to put on new clothes, don't we? You know, we don't want to just be standing out there and, boy, that's weird. What are you doing? No, we need to put on new clothes so we're presentable uh, for the Lord, for his kingdom. So we need new clothes and the characteristics we like to see. We find some of those characteristics in Colossians 3, verse 12 and 13. It says, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourself with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. If we are putting on our new outfits, if we're building and constructing them, there's many times that our old self likes to rear its ugly head. It likes to come alongside and say, hey, this is what we need, this is what we want, and, and we try to patch in those old rag patches, or as the moth eats away our new character, we try to just, oh, it's fine, you know, it's fine, it's a little ratty, but we're, we're okay. And that's just not right. So as we put on this new character, we have our old character chewing away right at it many times, and this new outfit is going on, we see the buttons fall right off. And we get discouraged like that many times, don't we? I'm, I'm trying to build my patience. I said, I'm trying to build my patience. You ever build patience like that? No, but my dad does. <laughs> no, right? I've built my patience like that before. And today we're going to talk about five habits that can imprison you in your grave clothes and how we can get out of that. So we can be free from them and express our gratitude to the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's five imprisoning habits of grave clothes that we need to replace. We call them the five C's. And I'm not going to lie, I found them on a, a reel on Facebook. This is one of the things that was, was you know, I had came up with, uh, three sermons. This, this guy was talking. I was like, dude, that's a sermon right there. And it was so relevant to gratitude that I couldn't resist. So the first one that we need to replace is complaining. It is all, it is easy to complain. I think we are built complainers after the fall, maybe. And unfortunately, it's very easy to do, which tells me something right there, that our attitude of complaining has a lot of authority in our life. And you're like, not for me. And some of you guys aren't complainers. That's great. Don't. Don't become one. A positive attitude is a good thing to have. And complaining is usually comes out of the negative, right? There's not very often that I'm complaining that, oh, these clothes fit so well. I just, I look so good today. I, I don't know what you guys are going to do. You know, that's sarcasm, right? That we don't usually say, oh, I look so beautiful today. I mean, look at me. It's going to make me cry, right? That's not what we do. We always look at our negative. We always look at the, the things that are hanging on 
And we're like, oh, I wish we could get rid of this or, or remove this or something to that effect. And something that has taken us out of our comfort zone that we want to stay in, right? Whether it's um, somebody has taken my spot in line and now I, I can't do what I need to do, or somebody has um, got a promotion at work and I didn't receive it, or many, many of the like. So, but this isn't how the Lord works. Many times he takes us out of our comfort zone to get the results that he wants, okay? Many of the times the Lord brings us into trials so that we can build our character through those trials. And what do we do when we come to those trials? A lot of times we start, our, our negative language comes out, or in a sense it's called a corrupted language or abusive language. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29 says, don't use foul or abusive language. Corrupting is what the ESV says. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words can be an encouragement to those who hear them. Right? When we're going through trials of many kinds, we take it as an opportunity for pure joy, right? That's what it says in James, and we'll get that Again, we're going to get to that later. You guys ever seen the movie Saving Private Ryan? I brought this up many times, but I love this illustration. It's such a good illustration. It's at the very beginning, well, not the very beginning of the movie. It's, it's uh, after the first war scene that they get, they find out that there's many uh, of the Private Ryan's brothers have all died. He's the only one left. There's four brothers. They're going to send him back. Um, and they have to get this crew together. They got to be put in behind enemy lines, and they got to walk um, this long distance, find him, and bring him back. And every one of them thinks it's ridiculous. And Tom Hanks is one of the, I suppose he's one of the sergeants. I, I think they call him lieutenant in the show, but he acts more like a staff sergeant more than anything. And he's leading this, this troop, and he's going along. And they're like, how come you don't complain? How come you don't complain? They ask Tom's character that. Why don't you complain? And he says, oh, I complain all the time. And he says, no, no, no. Do you ever hear him complain? No, no, I don't hear him complain. He says, do you hear him complain? No, nope, no, nope, don't hear him complain. He says, yeah, I complain, I complain, I complain. He says, why don't we ever hear you complain? He says, because I, I complain up. Right? I complain up the ladder. Okay? So not, he complains on up the chain of command, and if it doesn't go anywhere, I told them, I told my, the next guy up the ladder, and I told him above him, they were all around the command tent, I sold, said how ridiculous this is of using all these resources to save one person. It's absolutely ridiculous. We shouldn't do it, but I got the same answer is go ahead and do it anyway. And once I got that answer, I knew I was going to change their minds and it's not going to do me any good to complain down the ladder to, about them. So I kept my mouth shut, and we're going to go do what we're told to do. And a lot of times, how good would that be for, in our lives if we took the same mantra, the same motto, and didn't complain down? So who can we complain up to? Well, Job shows us a very good person who we can complain up to, right? never complains to his friends. You ever, if you ever read the book of Job, he doesn't complain to his friends. He defends with his friends. He always complains to the Lord. He complains to the Lord. He says, Lord, why have you done this to me? Why have you gone through? Why am I going through this? Why am I doing this and this and this and this, this? And the scariest part in Job is when God answers him, right? Because Job realizes how small he is. He doesn't understand what he's going through, why he's going through it, and he can't figure it out. He doesn't, he's not supposed to. Job, at the time, is the most holy man that's on the earth, and he is God's champion for the faith. And God makes him lose all his family, all his possessions, all his houses, and the only person he's got left in his life is his wife, and she complains all the time. It's like, you could have took her, Right? But that's not what God did. She even says, why don't you just curse God and die? And he says, bless your heart. I don't think he said that, but if he's down south, he sure would have. I know he would have, right? And so they many times 
when we get going on, we don't understand our mission, we don't understand our trial, but we understand that God is in control. And when we have that, we can understand our identity, but complaining about something, it has a lot to do with something that we don't have, whether it's our comfort, whether it's somebody else's possession, whether it's, um, I, I see the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. Guess what that's called? It's called coveting, right? That's the last of the Ten Commandments. It's, it's the second hardest one not to do. The first one would be idolatry, which is we're supposed to love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind, strength. Anything less than that would be idolatry. If one and two, you break one, you break two. You break ten, you break one and two. What? It's crazy. And most of all the other ones are covetous. You know, if you kill somebody, you usually do it out of anger. That's, that's a little bit different. But uh, taking somebody else's um, husband or wife, that's usually a coveting comes first, and then it leads to adultery. So what are we going to do? Because complaining, it eats at our new character clothes, and we need to do something. We look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 4. It says, Obscene stories and foolish talk and coarse jokings, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. When we give God our thanksgiving, it goes a long way. When we complain, it leaves behind a stench that only goes away in forgiveness and in contentment. Are you happy with where the Lord has put you? No. Well, pray to him, complain up in a sense, to get you out of that situation. Don't complain across. That's a vertical thing. Okay? Lord, we're pleading. Lord, change my circumstances. When we complain, oh, I already read that already. When we are grateful for what we have received from the Lord, it is easier to appreciate even what others have. Think about this, right? One of the things that we do is covet, right? So when we appreciate what we have, when we're content with what we have, then we can appreciate what the Lord has given someone else. If we're struggling in our health right now, it is easy to, that is when I really get complaining. I think all men may do that. We, we grumble a lot when we don't have good health. But am I appreciative of the health that my wife has because she's taking care of me right now and that she didn't catch the flu or whatever that I have or have the bad back or um, need the surgery that I need. That is not easy to do. So we need to replace these things with kindness. Um, replace complaining with kindness. God's kindness is often brought up alongside the topic of God's wrath. If you ever look at, what do we deserve in life? We actually deserve God's wrath, right? God's wrath is there to wipe out our sin. And when we are sinful people, we face God's wrath. But it is his kindness that leads us to repentance. It's his favor that is our desire and his beauty that brings us into compassion. And it's his love that's bigger than life, right? It says in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, it says, Don't you see how wonderfully kind and tolerant and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? Does God use pain to bring us back to him? Absolutely. We start straying the wrong way. God will use pain to bring us back to him. If we, he wants to get our attention, he has done that several times with me. If it were God stepping on my foot, I would not have four of my toes. And if he was merciful, he left my big one. If he wasn't, then I probably deserved it, right? God is a good God. And when we look at God as that, not our punisher, but as our Savior... He, the fact that we're even alive is a blessing from him, and we need to appreciate that because habits can either imprison you or free you. When we're, gratitude to God becomes a habit, joy in God becomes your lifestyle. 
This is good stuff. Number two, replace criticizing. Being a critic. And we're not talking about constructive criticism. There's a difference there. Our culture likes to take constructive criticism and lump it as the same thing as being critical. If you ever lived with somebody that doesn't think you are enough, you understand what it means to have somebody that will criticize you and not constructive criticism, right? Why don't you why aren't you like your sister? Why aren't you good enough? Why can't you do this? How come you could just do better? Why isn't this house clean? Why can't you keep this, your stuff out of the car? Why are you so messy? And it, it tells you that I can rattle off that many just like that because I'm probably pretty good at doing that with my, you know. One of the things when i coaching, I learned from Cole Espensheed. Instead of coming with a critical attitude like, you guys are, you can't hustle, you can't do this, can't do this, is coming with opportunity. You guys just walked from here to there, didn't you? I'm going to give you the opportunity to go back and do that again and be on the hop. And you're going to run to when you're coming down. So you run, sprint to your spot to where you have to hop down. You you slow it down, right? And so he learned that from his coach, and it changes the mentality at practice when you give people opportunities instead of criticism. So we're replacing, I believe that criticism, being critical is a self-defense mechanism, and I'd say this is probably 90% of the time, for our pride. It starts with something like, ooh, I could do that if I worked on it. That's where we start, like, oh, I could have done that if I worked on it. If I worked hard enough, I could be an Olympic champion. Yeah, but you didn't, <laughs> and so you're not. Oh, okay. And then it moves forward to, well, he only does that to get attention, she only does that. You know, he didn't have to dunk that ball. He could have just laid it in. He did it for attention. Well, it's because you can't dunk. Okay, yeah, right, you're okay. So followed by, I can't stand it when people, they're just uh, showing off. They're just, they didn't really care. Not like I do. Or I can't stand it when people, they're they're just doing that to get back at me, and they may be, but that doesn't have to be your attitude. Or they just think they're better than I am when they don't even know who you exist, right? Um, this leads me to ask this question. Which one is more beneficial? So think about this. This is a, this is a thinker question, okay? Which one is more beneficial to remove negative thoughts, or to think positively? What one is going to give you more traction in life? To remove negative thoughts or to think positively? Okay? So I've heard a little bit of rumbling out there. Uh, Remove negative thoughts. That's actually is you'll get more traction off that. However, they're two different scales. It's not either or. It's a little bit of a trick question, right? We want to always think positively, but you're going to get more traction by removing negative thoughts, right? Because where do we complain the most? Up here and in here. So if it moves up here and then moves into here, it flows out of your mouth from your heart, right? And so if you cut it off here, it doesn't trickle down to your heart, because if your heart's corrupted, it's much more difficult to develop an attitude of gratitude. So first, we should have two different scales. We should always think positive. We, we should always have an attitude of gra- gratitude. But to sustain that, we need to come alongside, right alongside in our minds, and we need to be tamping out the fires of negative thoughts that destroy our Christian character. Because critical thinking... Pretty soon it's, it's burning holes in our sleeves and our outfits, and we got to make sure we tamp those out, and we can't have those. So it's easy to point out bad. It's hard to pitch in and help. How many times as a pastor have I heard good ideas? Right? I hear them all the time. You know what we should do? 
you know what we should do? You know what somebody says that to me, what I, what I hear? This is what you should do, pastor, because they're not willing to implement it, right? So that's a tough truth. I've, I've heard that when we first started here at Mount Olive, had a family come up, you know what we should do? We should start a VBS, and we probably should do that. But how many, how many people, who's going to be in charge of it? Who's going to take care of that, right? There isn't enough help right now, so we need to pray about that. So when we get to a point where we could do that, we've done it, and we've done it well since, haven't we, once we started, right? But once that person was challenged on that, well, I just come up with the ideas. Well, good. Guess what? I can do that, right? Put your hands and feet in the game, right? Instead of being critical, get in the game. We talked about that last week. Um, lend a helping hand. When we grieve, as a church family, we know this. We saw that this summer, right? We saw a grieving family more than once this year. But what did we do in Lamentations 3, 32 and 33. What does Lamentations mean? It means to lament, right? These are Lamentations. These lamenting. These are prayers that he's giving up to the Lord. It says, Though he brings grief, he also shows compassion because of the greatness of his unfailing love. For he does not enjoy hurting people. God does not enjoy hurting people. Somebody needs to hear that this morning. God does not enjoy hurting people or causing them sorrow. It's because sin is in this world. That hurt is in here in the first place. And we live in a broken world that keeps breaking down more and more because sin keeps compounding. And if we as believers don't step up, Satan's going to have a playground here pretty soon. We're not going to do that. So don't criticize a situation we don't understand. God sets an example we are to follow, so we are to come alongside and serve so we can better understand and we can earn the right to be heard. Instead of criticizing, we need to come along with compassion. When we are moved by empathy to help others in need, we do not have time to criticize when our hands and feet are busy. When we saw hurting people this summer, what can we do to help alleviate that pain? That was one of the biggest testimonies that Brian told me about this church family. How they alleviated some of that. Not all of it, because it's always going to be there, right? But a church family to lean on is a big deal. And Benjamin Franklin said this. This is not a biblical quote, but I thought it was appropriate. It says, idle hands are the devil's playground, right? There's some truth in that. When we decide to be critical and do nothing to get it right, it's just going to get worse and worse and worse. And it's gonna, because habits have either, they can either imprison you or free you. And when your gratitude to God becomes a habit... Joy to God becomes your lifestyle. You ever been around somebody that has um, gratitude as a habit? They're just nauseatingly positive. I can be, I can be nauseatingly positive sometimes. Um, I, I didn't understand it until I think somebody pointed it out to me when I first became a pastor. Um, I think it was Ashley Livermore, actually basically said you're nauseatingly positive in it in a way that was smarter that I didn't understand it was a comp or not a compliment uh she's a pretty smart cookie um number three the the third c is concern worry okay we like to disguise worry with concern you ever do that I'm really concerned about this. Well, I'm really just worrying about this, okay? So what happens when we stack worry and concerns on top of one another? 
and they build, and they build, and they build. It, soon it turns into anxiety, right? Now, how am I going to handle this situation? I can't handle this situation. What happens when anxiety, it builds on top of each other. It turns into stress, both physical, emotional, and spiritual. What am I going to do? Right? You ever get there? That is, that is our society today, right? We all deal with anxiety. Every one of us deals with anxiety, right? Sometimes it even hurts our heart right? Then we got we to gotta watch out for that. So what are we going to do? Because we're not designed to handle the worries and concerns of this life. We are, God, didn't, God made it so we are dependent on him. So when we have worries, when we have concerns, we need to cast our cares on to Christ Jesus because he cares for us. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here, folks. If God didn't care for us, he wouldn't have sent his son. If he didn't send his son, what the song we sing today? Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because I know he holds the future. And life is worth living just because he lives. If Jesus Christ died, we'd all be dead right now. We would have never existed. He would have lost to death. Satan would have won. And that was the end of the story. But he did win. And he gives us an opportunity to choose him. And through his grace in Jesus Christ, we can have somebody to lean on. Huh, there's another song. We should have sang that. Oh, we did sing that one this morning. I'm leaning on you, right? Okay? Instead, we need to have patience in the waiting. This is one with the transition between Dave and myself the hardest lesson for me to learn. This is where I struggled so much during that time, is to have patience in the waiting. Do not be idle in the waiting, and that's exactly what I did. I just, like, God revealed to me that this is going to happen this way, and I just sat back and I waited. It's not what God wants. When God tells you it's going to be a period of waiting, you better be growing in that time. You better be getting in his word. You better be encouraging. You better keep that attitude of gratitude up. And that was about exactly opposite of what I did. I went into the gray area. That's a bad place to be. It's definitely not a place to live. It is killing you off. And it's dangerous. God wants us to grow down deep in those times. When we are in the trial, he wants us to lean on him through his word. How do we push back the darkness of doubts and worries and fears and concerns? How do we push them back? We, how do we battle against the unseen? This is like a preview for like January sermons, by the way. It's another Ephesians verse. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 12. A final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against the flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of this unseen world, against the mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. All right, we're supposed to put on one, two, three, four, five, six, seven different things, right? The belt of truth, body armor of righteousness, uh, boots of peace, shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, and I added one is the radio of prayer, okay? Communication lines got to stay open, right? If we don't have communication, how are we going to send into heavy artillery, Right? Think about that. If your radio guy goes out, are you going to make it? Chances get really slim. You can still make it, but it's a lot easier when you got artillery firing in, saving, saving you, right? So we need to speak God's word into the situation. David wrote this in Psalm 34, 4 through 7, and I want to highlight 4 and 7. David going through some major trials in his life, running away from Saul, 
um, seek in the wilderness. He writes this. He says, I prayed to the Lord and he answered me. He freed me from all my fears. Those who look to him to help will radiate with joy. No shadow of shame will darken their faces. In my desperation, I prayed and the Lord listened and he saved me from all my troubles. From the angel, For the angel of the Lord is a guard. He sur- surrounds and defends all who fear him. And I actually think he wrote that when he was running away from Absalom and he gets away. I'm pretty sure that's when he wrote that one. The waiting gives us time to grow roots deep. If you are going through trials right now, or if you're praying for someone going through trials, pray for encouragement in them. Get into God's word. Read the Psalms. Right? That's where God communicates between you and he is the Psalms. Right? We're going to talk about the Proverbs, and that's more of a vertical one in a minute as well. The waiting is there for our development, the opportunity for pure joy. God will take your concerns away because when it comes to that climax point, when you get to the point when you're at the maximum trial load, you will know how to handle it because God's word has instructed you how. And if you try to do it like I did, go into the gray area and just go blah, you'll come to that climax and you might not have enough energy push over the hill. You might just give up. And how easy it's it's easy to give up. It's hard to push over the hill. Right? I can tell you that from tell you that one for free. Habits can they can either imprison you or they can free you. And gratitude to God becomes a habit, joy becomes a lifestyle. So we need to replace commiserating. Ooh, that's a big word. They were struggling to find that C word, right? Uh, I think they should have had seven C's just personally because there's seven C's, you know? No, we only have five in this. So, right? Number four, replacing commiserating. Misery loves company, right? Commiserate to commiserate means to grumble together, right? Complainers will always find other complainers. That's why you got to be careful on, on who you hang out with. Is your group, is your small group, is your men's group, is your Bible study group, is it becoming a bunch of commiserators? We don't want that to happen. We want to give God the credit. We want him to have the joy. So in a sense, in chemistry we see likes dissolve likes, right? Why does soap work so well on dirt? Because they're made out of the same thing, and they will dissolve and pull it out. Why does, why does cotton get wet? Because they are created with the same bonds as water. They're hydrogen bonds, so they will go. Why doesn't argon get wet very well? It's because it's not made out of um, the same carbon bonds. It's more, it's unnatural, I guess, artificial. And so it will shed water, okay? That's why wax doesn't like like um, water. Same things. So when we go into a group, are we going to a group of complainers? We need to shed that water, right? Or are we going to lift them up and take them to the next level? One of the best books in the Bible to guide us on when it comes to friendships is Proverbs. Did you know that Proverbs has 31 chapters in it? If you've never read your Bible before, it's a good place to start. On the 1st of December, read chapter 1. Guess what? There's 31 days in December. You can read all 31 chapters. It's a good place to start. It's a good way to learn how to live. Okay? As I said before, Psalms is man to God. Proverbs is man to man. Okay? The first nine chapters is a father instructing his son on how he should live. But it can go with many different things. So replacing commiserating with, that's a fun word to say, by the way. I should have said it more, but I'm done with it now, with wisdom. We need to replace commiserating with wisdom. Here's five passages in the Proverbs that will help you. There's four in Proverbs and one in Thessalonians. In Proverbs 27, 5, an open rebuke is better than hidden love. 
An open rebuke is better than hidden love. Where it's a good example of that? Parents, right? When we rebuke our children, that is an open rebuke instead of hidden love, right? Oh, it'll be okay. Oh, Tommy, he just does that. Well, what happens when he's hormonal, Tommy, and he's raping his high school girlfriend? That's not, oh, he just does that. We don't do that. You stop that young, and it doesn't happen when they're old, okay? That's parents' responsibility. That's what Sam and Jenica said they were going to do. They're going to train them up so we don't have something like that, right? Proverbs, the next verse, 27, 6, says, Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. When someone's willing to put your friendship on the line for something I did wrong, so if my friend confronts me on something I did wrong, they're putting our friendship on the line, right? If I did something majorly wrong, and they saw it, and they were witness to it, and they said, you should not have done that, they're majorly putting their friendship on the line. They don't have anything to gain from this. I have something to gain from it because I can make it right. I can come clean. But they're putting our friendship in the line, and I say, hey, you know what? You're right. Um, you got to understand, the closer that friend is, when they are stepping up to bat for you like that, and they're putting their friendship on the line, you better be listening. Why are they doing this? Are they walking away from the Lord, or am I? Am I drawing closer, and that's what's brought this conflict? Are they in the wrong, or am I? Because a lot of times when somebody confronts you like that, especially in that way, it's you who have the problem, right? They might not be addressing it correctly, but it's something that we need to listen to because in every criticism, there's a little bit of truth. Um. And we got to listen to that. Proverbs 27, 17. Got that one memorized? Yeah. Yes, you do. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Yes, I knew you did. See, that's now you know the reference. Proverbs 27, 17, right? Iron sharpens irons. This is a lifelong friends. If you find somebody that sharpens you in, your, in the knowledge of Jesus Christ and, and wants to draw you closer, you need to find out how can I get more time with that person, right? Invest in that friendship. Thank that friend for being who they are, right? That's one thing I really appreciate. I got um, Elijah and Craig are the two that draw me closer to the Lord right now, and I appreciate them very much. Proverbs 28, 23 says, In the end, people appreciate honest criticism more than flattery. We can call this constructive criticism. It builds the people up as it corrects the poor behavior. This is done well with a compliment sandwich, right? This Katie Icorn taught me the compliment sandwich, right? So you go... You come in and you have something that you need to point out to them, so you start off with a compliment. You might, now this is my dead giveaway, is your hair looks great today, right? And then you'd be like, oh, there's one thing, you know, that when you stabbed me in the back last week, probably shouldn't have done that. But man, you look, you're rocking that outfit, right? Do you see how that it, it all fits in there like, oh, oh, I'm not sure how to take that, Right? That was a compliment sandwich. Now, that's obviously exaggerated, but there's, there's some truth to that, though, right? Because you're not there to drag them down. You're not there to point out their faults, but there's some things that need to be addressed between the relationship, right? Man, I really appreciate how you had the boldness to speak your mind, you know? But the other day when you said that to me, it really hurt, and I'm just trying to come to terms with it. Um, but I don't want you to stop doing that. I just wish you would do it a little bit nicer. Can you see how that compliment? There was a compliment on either side in the bookend. And I said it pretty nice without complimenting their hair. <laughs> and then the last one, First Thessalonians 5.11. So encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. Again, this one I got from the birthday girl. And the, the Shade family, this is a good one. I love this one. Are people blessings 
are they lessons, right? Are people blessings or are they lessons? And this is good because how do you pick your people? How do you pick your people? And this is one I've said, I've said it many times this year, and I'm going to say it again. You become like the five people you spend the most time with. Choose carefully. If you hang around somebody who complains, if you hang around that somebody's got a critical spirit, you're going to become a complainer. You're going to become a critic, and not in a good way. Right? How can you bring the joy into that situation? How can you change them? Sometimes you've got to change who you hang out with, right? Now, I'm not saying get rid of that friend. It's just you're going to have to guard your time with them sometimes, right? And search out for the people that are encouraging you. Find the characteristics that you want to become and befriend that person. Replace this commiserating with tender-hearted mercies, okay? Tender-hearted mercies. Karen's got great tender-hearted mercies. I always love um, hanging out with her because you know you're just going to be loved like, like she's your grandma. I love that, you know? Um, Joyce Kingdon always did a great job of that, right? She was tender-hearted and merciful. We're praying for her. Habits can come to either imprison you or free you. When gratitude to God becomes a habit, joy to God becomes your lifestyle. And this is the last one. Replacing, catastrophizing. And I think that I, they made up that word, but I like it. It's another fun one to say. Replacing, catastrophizing. What is a catastrophe, right? Catastrophizing is when you blow something out of proportion. Oh my goodness, it's over. I can't believe what we've done. Oh my, right? This project, this marriage, this friendship, I got to blow up my phone. I got to blow up Facebook and just, oh my goodness. Here's another one that they do. I'm done. And that's what they post on Facebook. Friend, if you do that and you go to this church, I might just come find your phone and smash it, okay? I'm just going to warn you, I cannot stand those one-sentence things. I, you're doing it for attention. You're doing it for attention. It's wrong. You don't do that. I'm telling you right now, it's, it's a pet peeve, and I'm, I'm sorry. If your sky is falling like Chicken Little, let us know. Just If you've if you got to draw attention to yourself, put the whole thing out there right? I'm an idiot. I argue with my friend and take responsibility. Do you see how I did that? And I upset her when really, obviously she was the one that upset me, but take responsibility for it, right? It takes two sides to make an argument. Oh boy, I get off the soap box now. You guys ever seen the movie Chicken Little? It's a great movie. It's got some really good things, um, character building, it's good for adults as well. If you want, it's an animation kids film, but I love it. We were, it was one of those that was in the van that was playing on the DVD systems that I can pretty much quote the whole thing. It's got a great message to it. What do we know in the, in the traditional story of Chicken Little and, and the movie Chicken Little? What's falling? The sky is falling. The sky is falling. And in the movie, he goes and warns the whole town, right? And... Friends, someday, sometimes the sky is falling. Sometimes we do need to listen to those chicken littles, right? But the question is, how are you going to handle that? Are we going to warn the whole town and bring chaos and, and craziness to the whole town? Or are we going to take it as an opportunity for pure joy. And you're like, what in the world? The sky is falling, Shane. You can't take this as an opportunity for pure joy. Well, Jesus, the half-brother of, or James, the half-brother of Jesus, he's being persecuted with the Jerusalem church. They're seeking him out to kill him, right? He's one of the very first martyrs in the church. And he writes this in his opening to his letter in James chapter 1, verse, after he greets everyone, verse 2 says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, and we're talking whips, axes, and, and swords, in his case, they're coming to kill him and his brothers and sister. 
Consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Because you will have faith. Where do we go from there? We go to Romans chapter 5. I think it's verse 8. You're going to have to look that one up. Now you're going to want to know. That builds is the building block for faith. Hope turns into faith, right? We need both of those to develop. God gives us troubles of any kind to build our character, right? He wants to see, are those clothes going to get ate away right after the holidays? Or are they going to sustain Are they going to keep you warm? Are they going to build you into the person that you want to be and look like Jesus? Before I go down the rabbit hole of finding a catastrophe in this situation, first, I need to maintain a good perspective. I'm going to pause because I'm going to memorize this. This is your homework this week. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. If you haven't got this memorized, it is one of your best ways to stop this. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. Right? How many times have I started down the rabbit hole and I do it like this with my daughter. She'll wake up in the morning, and her alarm's gone off. It's gone off for about seven minutes, and I get up there, and I say, Piper, it's time to get up. Is there anybody up here that's going to get up? And she'll say, uh-uh, and she'll roll over. She'll go back to sleep, and I'll say, I started this one this one, one morning. It was about a week ago, and I said, oh, Piper, if you don't get up, you won't go to school. And if you don't go to school... You're not going to get any knowledge. If you don't get any knowledge, you're going to be dumb, and you're going to have to do this and that. And then I just, I just walked it down, and she goes, Dad, stop. But isn't that what we do when we are catastrophizing a situation? We are just building and building and building and building. And if we don't stop and trust God in that situation... What does that do to our anxiety? It takes it through the roof, right? Because I think I can handle all my problems. And I'm going to handle my problems over here. I'm going to handle my problems over here. And what do I do? I start spinning plates. We've seen the halftime show. We're spinning plates, spinning plates. How many can we get up? We're going to go spinning plates. I have anxiety watching that guy, right? (laughs) Why do we have anxiety watching that guy? Because that's our life. We're spinning plates. You see the guy doing it with basketballs on his fingers. He does things and he's got this little straw and he's like, I created this apparatus so I could put on the show. And he's putting them all on his arm and you're like, don't do that. How are you going to do this? I have to have a special one for my nose. I don't know. You know <laughs> but it's craziness. But aren't we doing the same thing? We got our school project over here, and we got our kids over here doing this. And my, here I got going to go back to school, and I got, I got to make sure I have dinner done tonight, and I got to have this, and I have to make sure rides. And we live in that because we think that is living. It's not. That's catastrophizing. That's saying, I can handle this, God. I don't need you on my day. And that's wrong. When we wake up in the morning... We thank God for what he's given us. We ask him for his blessings to get through some of that busyness, right? And we can let go and we remember to rebuke that doubter in our mind. This requires discipline. This requires us to actively rebuke that doubter. And as Chicken Little said, his mantra in the morning was, today is a new day, right? And what he's saying is the troubles that came with yesterday, I'm going to have to face new ones. I'm not going to stack them up on top of each other, and I'm not going to worry about the ones to come. What's that, that saying is, 
How's that go? Um, tomorrow's, tomorrow's worries is, I can't remember. Yes, yes. Don't worry about uh, tomorrow's worries because today it has plenty of worries of its own, right? So we need to rebuke that worry. We need to give thanks in that worry that we are alive to be able to do that. We're healthy to do that. And when we're not healthy to do that, we can thank God that he has put us here and uh, appreciate the trial we're going through, which is really, really, really hard, right? It's hard to thank God that I'm sick. It means I'm alive. All right, that doesn't make any sense at all, but it does, okay? When you've done it before, when you get on the other side of it and you've done that and you say, wow, I can't believe how that helped me get through this situation. So if we can, can we look at the situation from a different angle and see from a different perspective? Today is a new day. As I lean on God's understanding, I have the opportunity to turn my attitude around, which allows me to heal, turn my situation around, and I can make it right if it's my fault as well, right? If those plates are falling because I'm running into them and knocking them over, that's my responsibility, and I need to make it right. So I need to ask that question. Will you forgive me? What can I do to make it right? Is that an easy question to ask? No, that's probably the hardest question to ask ever, right? And we can make it right by asking for forgiveness, right? Will you forgive me? That makes, that's, starts where we finished, right, with Colossians our habits can either imprison us or free you. When your gratitude to God becomes a habit, joy in God becomes a lifestyle. That's where I want to be. I want to understand that I can have joy because it started with the gratitude of things he has given me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving me a disciple-making way of life in Christ Jesus. As I go through every part of this day, help me to love you and to love the people who cross my path, starting with my family. Don't let me miss the adventures you are sending my way to live and to speak the good news about Jesus today. Draw my heart to you and to specific people you want me to pull close for Jesus-like disciple-making friendships. By your word and spirit, transform me into a follower of Jesus who love you, who love people, who make disciples, who make more disciples, ad infinitum. In Jesus' name we pray. Lord, we pray that you would also watch over Logan Dunn as he is still struggling. We pray that you would watch over him and heal him. Lord, we pray for those that are here that are struggling and that need your healing. Lord, we pray that your hand of healing would be upon them, that they would be encouraged this morning by your word. Lord, I pray that as we go together as a body of believers, that you would guide and direct us, lead us, and protect us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You're dismissed.